Hello, I'm Rachel Botsman and welcome to Trust Issues, a new podcast that will change the way you think about trust. Please raise your hand if you have ever been a host or a guest on Airbnb. Wow, that's a lot of you. I've spent the last 10 years studying the ins and outs of trust, what trust really is and why it matters so much in our lives. Okay. And please raise your hand if you've ever used Tinder to help you find a mate. This one's really hard to count because you're kind of going like this. <laughs> Over the next six weeks, I'm going to be exploring all sorts of trust questions. I'll be speaking to a world champion poker player on why we get duped. We'll hear from an anti-vaxxer on why she doesn't trust scientists and to an acclaimed TV and radio presenter on why we may feel confident at work but struggle with trust issues at home. But in today's episode, I'm speaking to someone who honestly couldn't be more different from me. The only thing we have in common really is trust. I can remember for the first time in my life seeing these climbers getting blown off the mountain. One of them was upside down going in and out of consciousness, hanging, literally hanging off a cliff edge. There was two more climbers in front of me that the ledge had given way, so they'd fallen off the ledge and they were dangling, but they were, they were upright. One of them was crying, whilst the other one was trying to scramble back up the mountain. And I can just remember looking at this image. I've got it clear in my head, this image in my head, where I thought to myself, you are not getting off this mountain and you are dead. I can just remember thinking to myself, and you are dead. He is a former SAS officer, a famous TV presenter, the author of two best-selling books, and he has a unique and fascinating perspective on risk, how we can overcome our greatest fears, and how trust has quite literally saved his life more than once. He is Ant Middleton. Welcome, Ant. Thank you for having me, Rachel. <laughs> you may know Ant as the formidable chief instructor for the Channel 4 hit show SAS Who Dares Wins. He is also the author of First Man In Leading from the Front, a huge number one bestseller. I read out that only Michelle Obama outsold your book last year yes, in the UK. Yes, she did. So, the, the former first lady. Well, listen, it's not a bad person to come a runner up to, is it? Um, but where I thought we'd start is I was watching the footage of you at the top of Everest. And part of me was going, that is just incredible. And the other part of me was shouting at YouTube going, just get off the mountain. <laughs> incredible, but stupid. <laughs> incredible, but stupid. Could you tell us how it felt to be up there and then what happened hmm. on the way down? I can remember just on the way up thinking to myself, you know, you know you're know, you almost there. and But knowing that that wasn't the final task, you know, once you hit the summit, you've got to come all the way back down. I remember standing on the summit and I had this sort of overwhelming emotion come over me. I, you know, I wanted to cry, but I couldn't because I knew that I didn't want to waste the energy to cry. So I gave out a little sigh and I made a phone call to my wife. And then it almost got snatched away from me. You know, these storm, this storm came in almost as if to say, you know, you wanted this at the highest order, right? I'm going to test you now. And that wasn't the test getting to the summit. I knew that I had to get down from that mountain. And when I saw that came in and I sort of flipped out of that mode of, I've hit the summit, let's all celebrate, that was short-lived. It was a case of, 
well, I'm now fighting for my life. I went from this sense of elation to this sheer sense of panic that overtook me to the point where I thought to myself, just unclip from the rope and jump off the mountain. So I thought, I'm not going to freeze up here. I've already, I've already been up here um, for a couple of hours. I don't want to freeze up here. You're not getting off the mountain, jump off the mountain. Then my whole mindset kicked in after that. But there was a sheer sense of panic that did engulf me before I got a grip of myself that said to me, Ant, just, just jump off. You, you, you're done. So just can you explain what's going on with your body and your mind mm. that you go from that state, that high mm. and that excitement of an incredible achievement mm. to panic to some sort of control? Yeah. where you're like, I, ca- I can get down. Like, mm. ha- What's the mind and body doing through those three different states? Well, it's a sheer sense of elation snatched away from you by the severity of the situation. And that fear that engulfed me, I was like, you know, the situation is telling me that I'm dead. When I stood there and I thought to myself, I'm dead, I'm going to jump off the mountain. I can just remember getting a grip on myself, taking a small step back and going, and take charge of your mind. The situation is telling you that you're dead. But you... And I look myself up and down when I was saying it. You are still very much alive. Mm. And I can remember thinking, that's what, I, that's, what I, that's what I practice. I practice, you know, do not let a situation or someone define you. You must always define yourself. So that ultimately saved my life because I can remember thinking to myself, the mountain's telling you that it's dead and you are alive. And that gave me, a, that taking extreme ownership of yourself excites me. So you've spoken about fear mm. as your body preparing itself for something completely uncertain or outside of your control that fear is can be a really healthy and powerful thing but how do you take that fear and turn it into something that helps you get down the mountain versus panic and jump well first of all people don't acknowledge fear people are scared to admit that they're scared you know especially men no, but the moment you do acknowledge that you're scared or that you, you feel fear, mm. you can acknowledge that emotion for what it is. Again, talking about emotional intelligence, it's just like, well, I'm scared. That first bit of acknowledgement, if you acknowledge, you can process it and then you can execute what needs to be done. A lot of people don't even acknowledge their emotions. Like with fear, failure, whatever it may be, it, they let it take over mm. and they just let, let it take over their body. And that's why there's so many people on that mountain still. Um, so it's just that first Okay, right, what's going on here? What is, because it's your emotion. What mm. is this emotion? I'm scared. Right, take that, harness it, make it work for you. And once you can acknowledge the emotion for what it is, you can make it work for you. Like I, like I say, fear is your body priming itself for the unknown. It's your mm. body telling itself to get ready. Fear is all it is, is get ready, get ready, get ready. And what we do we take that emotion and we layer it with negativity. We go, right, well, I'm, I can't get down from here. What if I, but if you're on a cliff edge, for example, and you're looking down and you're scared of heights, fear will present itself and then you start to layer it with negativity. What if I jump off here and I, and I break a leg? What if I never see my family again? What if this equipment fails? And before you know it, boom, you, you, you're done. You just freeze or you, you walk away from the situation. Mm. Every time you expose that fear, you get to unlayer something about it. Mm. You get to learn how to use it for, to your advantage. And that's what I've done in the military. You know, my fear was life or death, mm. you know, so it was a pretty, pretty drastic emotion that I had to had to harness. And once I learned, it's only through doing it hundreds of times that now I've learned to really, really make it work for me. So much of what you talk about in sort of talking about fear is how I think about trust. So mm. I, I think about trust as a confident relationship to the unknown. Yeah. And that you Definitely. have to trust yourself 
to actually go to these unknown places. Trust mm. is actually about not certainty, but uncertainty and fear and vulnerability at the very heart of trust. Like trust is this weird mixture of hopes and desires and expectations, but also our deepest fears at the same time. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about linked to that is you have a really interesting way of thinking about risk. Mm -hmm. So essentially, trust is how we solve problems of risk. And in the book, you talk a lot about this process of being able to rationalize risk. Yeah. Can you maybe in the army or go back to Everest, like how does that really work? Like the, the way you can actually cope with fear and uncertainty is because your mind can rationalize risk. Mm. Again, it just goes back to knowing yourself, knowing where your boundaries are, knowing where your uh, your limits are and beyond. And that's only through through pushing yourself through suffering, through hardship, through the unknown, through failure. You know, all of these dirty words nowadays that people go oh, steer away from that well you're never going to learn anything you're just mm. going to live in this void and that's why i say to people only you hold the answers only you know yourself like you know yourself mm. and why shouldn't you we like to think that people know us better than we know ourselves or situations define who we are or dictate what we do it's like you know it's i find that quite saddening and then nine times out of ten once you do commit you find yourself pushing those risk boundaries because you've, you've maybe pushed a little bit more than you should have. But actually, well, I'm, again, I'm living in this new, exciting risk space. You know, mm. it, it goes with, with fear, it goes with failure, it goes with risk, it goes with no. This whole sort of new, exciting space that I talk about, you don't have to jump into the void and be reckless. I'm not saying doing that. Life is all about just pushing these slow, you know, positive direction, whether it's with your emotions, mm. whether it's with yourself and... That's put your purpose in life. But how do you, if you've never had exposure or you've never mm. had experience, so say your new recruits on SES who mm. dares win, like day one, right? Yeah. They haven't had that exposure. They yeah. haven't had that experience. How do you get people to take that leap for the first time? Because I'd imagine what you think your boundaries are, mm. your boundaries are probably way out there mm. from when your mind first starts to say, you should quit, you should stop. So mm. how does people first take that leap? Trust. And what I mean by trust is not only trusting yourself, which you spoke about, but trusting in the people around you. And, you know, we're not always going to get it right, but we've been there and done it. You know, when people say, how can you push people that far? How do you know when to stop, Ant? Because I've been there. Mm. I've done it. I know. I can just tell by a grimace on the face. I can tell by by their certain, you know, by a certain character, by a certain attitude that they've they've had enough. And you can push people beyond and break them. And there can be there's a close line to it. But ultimately, it goes down to trust. It's just like, right, I'll push you to a certain way where you didn't think you could go. Then all I'm doing is I'm handing the tools back over to you and going, right, now you've trusted me this far. Now trust yourself. Mm. And that's what I find um, quite disturbing is people don't trust themselves. Mm. I remember one episode where you showed people first. Um, it was a massive waterfall. I think it was in the celebrity one. And then they mm. had to climb over holding the rope and then they had to let go of their left hand and they had to let yeah. go of their right hand and like I literally felt physically sick I couldn't watch it I was like under the blanket going and that poor woman who you could tell was a, really about to vomit like she was absolutely petrified and one thing I was interested in, in is that I used to be a competitive swimmer I'm not frightened of pushing my body to its physical limits and knowing that when my mind's saying stop it can actually go much further and much yeah. faster but 
You would describe me as a wimp. I would be out in one hour on your show. <laughs> I'd look after you. No, you wouldn't. Hour. You wouldn't because and it's such a serious question. I think you can solve a problem I've had in my life. I have a phobia of sharks, so mm. I can't swim in the ocean. I um, am so frightened of snakes that I had to move away from Australia. I was on a little speedboat in Greece telling my five-year-old to slow down because I was scared of the ripples. It was a flat ocean. I recently had to get back on a bike because I live in Oxford and everyone cycles. And my husband joked that I look like a Christmas tree because I had so many lights and, you know, paraphernalia on. I had couldn't cycle on the road. I had to cycle on the pavement. Got accosted by this man who told me pavements were for humans and bikes were on the road. So I told him that I was like back on a bike for the first time in 20 years, at which point he laughed at me. Right. Like, this is this is really strange, right, mm. that I can be a professional athlete in some ways, but yet put me in situations where I do not have control. And it doesn't feel like I have a choice. Fear hijacks my body to the point mm. where I cannot think straight. Do you think I'm born with this or this is something I've learned? There's a trigger for it, I think. You know, I think there's a trigger in everything that we fear. In life, you were going to help me until I mentioned the bicycle, right? And then you, yeah, <laughs> no, I can't help you there. I don't know what to do about that. To be fair, <laughs> you're the expert. Unless, <laughs> unless I just strap you to the to my back and I just go down a mountain on a mountain bike. Um, I think there's a, definitely a trigger. What's happened in life? Some some triggers we can remember. If we go back uh, far enough, some we can't. But it's definitely something that you can train out of yourself. You know, I was never born fearless you know I was always scared of things when I was a child and I'm, I'm scared of things now I fear things now but because of the way that I harness fear there's not much that phases me so what do you mean by that well something that phases me is like walking over ladders you know on, on SAS who does wins so I had to demonstrate that that fear was there but it, it, it phased me but you know I, I didn't think to myself right I can't do this. You know, I'm, I'm scared of heights. I, I can't do this. I thought to myself, yeah, God, you know, I'm not too comfortable with this, but, you know, I'm used to being comfortable when uncomfortable. Mm. Now, when I'm uncomfortable, that's when I'm uncomfortable now. I've sort of flipped, flipped that sort of uh, on its head. And again, it's just what I find so fascinating about taking on fear or challenging fear is just lay, you know, every single time, just unlayering that emotion. You know, so when I say there's not much that phases me, it's like, you know, because I think to myself, right, once I take this on, this unknown, then I'm going to go through this whole process of, of committing, learning, growing and becoming a better version of myself. Whether the, the final destination is success or failure, mm. I know that once I commit to this, I'm going to be living in this new space and I'm going no matter what, I'm going to learn something about myself, I'm going to grow, therefore... And I'm going to become a better version of myself. I'm going to know more about myself and make that work for me. Mm. So I'm not fussed about the destination, but it doesn't mean that I'm reckless. You know, it's like you can do so many, you can, you can, you can face your fears in so many controlled environments and safe environments, knowing that the end result is going to be that, you know, everything's going to be okay, you know, but it's just that commitment phase that, people don't get through and therefore they don't go through that whole cycle which I just mentioned and that's the cycle of life if you're on that journey then you're never going to get to that answer that answer of who am I you know it's, you're never going to get to it because hopefully you're going to be pushing and pushing and pushing and I find that fascinating mm. that you're going to push push all the way up to this but you're going to get closer and closer and closer and closer to it but you're never going to get there what more fascinating journey to go on than that you what know? does face you what are you, you what? really frightened of 
Um, see, um, my fears are a bit different. My fears are sort of, of, of failing as a father, or uh, you know, failing as a as a as a husband. Um, don't don't get me wrong. You know, we all make mistakes along the way, and um, whether that's as a husband or as a, as a father. But um, you know, ultimately, my children turning to me and saying, you know you're not my dad or you know or something like that that sort of that's really what scares me and i only say that really because i have failed as a father and i have failed as a husband when i was in the military because especially in the special forces i prioritized the military everything was military 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 you know as soon as a call came up yeah i'm going on that mm. you know and almost you think you prioritize your wife and children but you don't it's not until i left and I got my priorities straight and you know when things started to happen around me and I looked around me and my wife and children were there all this every single time mm. I realized wow how wrong did I get it and it's almost and again that's probably the trigger it's almost going back to that that I dread I think to myself right you know if I go back to to that moment that trigger is uh, you know because when I look back and I think wow you know you, you let them down big time mm. um so again, that's that's my main fear is, is is going back to these moments again, um, being being triggered by by something. I suppose. You know what's interesting? You've got young kids. Mm. I, I don't have as many as you, but I've got mm. five and a seven year old. And I took them took them to one of those tree climb, you know, mm. those tripwire things where you. Mm. And I was listening to the parents. I wasn't going to get up there, by the way. So mm. they were doing it by themselves. Mm. And I'm really careful not to project my fear on them. Right. Mm. So I let them fall down, and they've mm. got to get up. And I listen to the parents, be careful, come down, it's not safe. And then yeah. one of the parents actually said... Installing that fear into them. Installing that fear into them. And then one of the parents said to me, are you really going to let your son do that? Mm. And then my instinct was to say, oh, Jack, come down. And I thought, no, I'm. you're making me uncomfortable because you're uncomfortable exactly. with the risks that I'm letting him take. And I thought, mm. it all starts here. Like if you just recorded what was going on and this is a place where you're taking your children because you intentionally want them to feel mm. taking that risk and that they can achieve it and get from one zip wire to the next and it's so hard to resist that parent who's telling you mm. you're irresponsible because you're letting them take that leap again that's that's i'm so glad that you just let him crack on because that's letting people define who you are and ultimately defining who your child is or situation defining you know you should do that you know your child should 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 you know should do you as they grow up you know you you coach and mentor them all, all the way through their life but it's uh yeah a lot of people do that or they even though in your heart of hearts you know there's nothing malicious with your act there's nothing you don't go out to offend to say anything to offend and a lot of people even though they don't go out to do that they still stop doing something because they're like oh so and so might be looking what are they going to think about me what's you know what's going to happen here um but it's like with my child, I was at, I was on holiday and the swimming pool was absolutely freezing. My and my ten year old son <laughs> Gabriel and my three year old daughter ran past and I grabbed hold of their legs and they knew the the pool was really really cold and I grabbed my ten year old son and my my three year old daughter started crying. You know, she, I, she didn't want to go in. Oh, she right? didn't go no, in. she didn't want to go in. So she started crying and so I grabbed her, put her in the water. She, <gasps> she you know, and I held her there until. Until you know, until this, she was all went out. She went, and then she absolutely loved it. You know, she was in. I couldn't get her out of the water after that. Mm. But um, you see some of the parents' face. You know, as soon as they see my my daughter crying, they're like, "All right, surely he's going to let go." Then I grab her and put her in the water, and then she kicks off, goes mad, and then all of a sudden she calms down. She calms down. Then she jumps on her brother's back in, mm. in, in the swimming pool. 
then I let them play, then I slip off out of the pool. They're playing in there for hours. Mm. That's just a prime example of people now, you know, not teaching mental resilience or, or any type of resilience in, into their children. It's always safe and, and every, every move they do, they're petrified. It sounds like a cliche, but I think it also comes down to so much of society now tells us that risk equals danger mm. versus risk equals opportunity, which is a lot what you're talking about, that when you push Dang. through, you get through that, you, you've experienced something on the other side. And unless you take on that risk, you're never going to discover that opportunity. Or, I don't know but, wait, you've hit the nail on the head there, and that's a great analogy, and I'm going to steal that off you. <laughs> um, I love that. So one of the things that I sort of underlined in your book is you speak a lot about how the first step in becoming a leader is recognising your own narrative and your own flaws, real flaws about yourself. And that as a leader, there isn't a lot of room for uncertainty and doubt. Mm -hmm. But then there's other parts in the book where you talk about the value of actually showing uncertainty and that Mm -hmm. maybe you don't know the outcome and that's a really strong way of earning trust. Mm Can you talk about a situation in your life where experiencing doubt and uncertainty and expressing that to your team was actually really key to earning their trust? Yeah, I can remember my first tour of Afghanistan. I was with 40 Commando Royal Marines and uh, my section commander, who section commander is in charge of of an eight-man patrol. I was the second in command. Um, My section commander um, got a field promotion up to sergeant so I got a field promotion from 2IC, second in command, up to section commander. So um, this was a field promotion after two weeks of being in Afghanistan of a six-month six tour. And um, again, just sitting down with the group saying, look, just got field promotion, guys, you know, I'm going to need you as much as you're going to need me. But they're like, no, you know, best man for the job, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I took them out on a patrol and I was I was map reading and... Um, we were in Sangin, DC, so it was a very, very sort of hairy area, you know, very dangerous area. And I can remember just going into these, this sort of rural area where there was loads of sort of buildings and compounds. And we were creeping through because, you know, the buildings were quite high and we were really on high alert. And everyone was just creeping away. And I can just remember stopping the group through this alleyway. They're like, what the hell's going on? You know, get through this alleyway. Before, you know, and I got the group together. And they, everyone was on high alert, looking around, and said, "Ant, what's up?" And I looked to all of them. I said, "I'm lost." I, I just remember saying to them, "I not lost." Not what you I'm really lost. want to hear. No, <laughs> not not what you want to hear. But I, and all they'd done is they burst out laughing. <laughs> the whole group burst out laughing and said, "Ant, we were wondering where the bloody hell you were going." <laughs> and what I didn't want to do is lead them further down this alleyway to potentially be, you know, swallow my pride and go, right, I'll figure this out. I won't show any type of weakness or any type of, you know, I'm their leader. But if I'd have taken them further down, then we would have got got ambushed. And then I would have had two, three lives on my hands or even one life or even an injury or even putting them in that situation, you know, distressful sort of life-changing, just being fired at a situation. Um, I thought to myself, right, no, I need to... I need to get a grip of this. Mm. And um, then one of the lads went, and, you know, yeah, you took a wrong turn back there. I was wondering where you were going. Didn't want to say anything. I'm like, let's, let's all go back and, and take the turn. The guys knew I was lost. Right? So you can Why imagine. Why didn't they tell you, though? Because, you know, we were creeping. They, they thought, they, they, you know, and they must have thought, right, and he's got some plan. Uh, other plan, you yeah. know, but um, we haven't gone down here before. Or, this isn't our area of operations. It's a case of, right, I need to 
need to consult the group here. Yeah. You know, because probably some people do know where they're going. And also the whole fact of knowing that I was lost and potentially putting them in a life-threatening situation, I'd have to live with that for the rest of my life. Mm. And, you know, just making a bad decision like that where it, where it costs lives is... You've got to be open and honest, and I can. And don't get me wrong. For the next, you know, two three weeks, they called me Compass Boy, and you know, it's like, you know, but that was swept under I'm sure the carpet. There were other less. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to tell you exactly what they said, but um, that was swept under the carpet very rapidly. And I say to people, you know, if you if you own up to your mistakes and you go, you know, put your hand up and you ask for help, people will, will come in abundance to help you. The moment you try and pull the wool over you and you try and you swallow your pride and and you mess up, you're going to get fed to the wolves. Do you know there's there's one relationship in the book that really well there's two actually that really stick in my mind one is the sergeant who I want to come back to and mm-hmm. the other one is Cressy and it sounds like you transformed his life I'm really intrigued you seem like on the tv show which I know is television but also through the stories you tell in the book that you have an unbelievable ability to read the stories that people tell about themselves to read the narrative that actually isn't helpful and that's what really struck me in terms of how you turn Cressy around. Could you could you tell people a little bit about Cressy and what happened and the relationship between the two of you and, and ultimately what happened in the end, which is an amazing mm. story. Cressy was one of these uh, individuals that um, I was frustrated with at first. You know, it's, it's like with people when I see what they're capable of and they operate at a quarter of their potential, I want to grab them by the ears and like sh- shake them, you know, and go... and. Here, you know, that sort of tough love at, at the beginning was, you know, I know where to how to push him. I know what he's feeling. I know he's feeling scared. I know he's feeling vulnerable. I know he doesn't know what he's doing. He's a young, young boy. Um, and pushing him, pushing him, pushing him. But I can push him to an extent where he's on that level as a, as a leader, where, where he's on that line. And I can sort of bring him back into the fold. And that's what I'd done with, with, with Cressy. But, even, but I was frustrated with him at first. And then... Um, almost that I didn't want him in the team, but he's part of my team. You know, I've got to, I've got to bring him in. I've got to keep him alive ultimately. But he was a burden to the team at first. And then this massive blow comes along, where he's got this letter that is uh, his girlfriend has been sleeping around. You know, she just just admitted it. We're over. Um, and that was the point where it was almost a blessing in disguise for him because it just he obviously had that distraction. At home, there was something which I I couldn't get to. Mm. I knew there was something there, and I just thought it was he was just scared of it. But there was an, a distraction. And that's what I say about you know about distractions from the outside. But it will cost you your life. Mm. So almost she'd done him a favour because the moment he'd done that, they'd done that, and I went round the back and spoke to him about it. And I said, look, listen, come back in. You know, with it made me want to nurture him. You know, he was no longer taken by you know a distraction that was back in the uk this was my child now this was my team member this was and it sort of flipped it for me as well from him being i thought i get it now i mean i have to say of all the things you've done mutiny on the bounty Mm -hmm. chris Mm. now chris was different from cressy right because you you there was a weakness in chris but you ultimately decided that chris had to go why couldn't you turn him around um some people are riddled with negativity um Negativity is like a disease, and I'm a strong believer if you can't flip a negative into a positive, you've got to cut it away, whether that's an individual, whether that's a situation, because you're going to go on a downward trajectory, mm. full stop. You, you know. Um, well, with Chris, I kept putting my head on the chopping board for him. I kept you know, giving him that, that third, second. I do believe people deserve chance after, you know, as long as they're learning from that each, each chance. And with Chris, 
he just wasn't learning. You know, he was just a negative person. And it wasn't until Luke, the doctor on board, he came up to me whilst I was, uh, whilst I was asleep. He woke me up and he said, and why are you neglecting us? I was like, what, what do you mean? Why am I neglecting you? He said, well, you're putting all your effort into Chris. And every single time you put your head on that guillotine, he will drop, drop that sword every single time. He said, and you've put your head on the chopping board from five, six times now. And you're focusing, which I didn't realise I was doing, I was focusing all my energy on him that they need my attention as their leader. And when he said that, when he said, why are you neglecting us? Mm. That made me, that just, boom, I needed to hear, I needed to hear the truth. Again, that the truth about why I'm like, wow, when I took a step back, I was like, I am neglecting you. Mm. You're right. I'm putting so, I'm focusing so much into this. In, and that was because I was scared to fail as a captain, mm. as a leader. I was scared to, you know, if I thought, right, if he goes and I failed, you know, as, as a leader, I, I believe that, you know, I could bring any team together and, and mould any team together to get the job done. Did it feel like a failure when he walked off the boat? It did, but it, 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 I thought to myself, wow, you know, you, you failed here. But then the reaction, you know, once you cut that, like I say negativity is like a mould. Once that mould takes a grip, you've got to cut it away because it will just engulf you. Mm. Um, and when we done that, to the, prog- the progress after that, so, you know, even though I felt, like I failed for two or three days. Once I saw the spirit of the men and once I could really, you know, share my sort of leadership and, and uh, mindset and just, just the way I am as a person with the rest of my team, and I saw them flourish and I saw them sort of mould into one solid group with no distractions, mm. that soon went. After three days or two, three days, I was like, wow, that worked. So you've been on a boat not any kind of boat. You've been up Everest. <laughs> You've walked across waterfalls. Mm-hmm. Been in a war zone. Mm-hmm. I've heard a rumor that your next expedition is space. Is this true? The it- rumors are true, but whether it will happen is still very much um, in the pipeline. Um, my wife is not too happy about it. Uh, <laughs> But um, we're in quite advanced talks about going into space. Um, and it, 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 do you know what? When it first happened, um, someone said, and you've, you've sailed 4,000 miles in a wooden open boat. You've been to war zones. You've been fired at. You stood on the apex of the world. What's next? And I just went, oh, fire me to, to the moon. You know, fire me into the stratosphere. Well, next thing I know, there's a full phone calls. And you know, you spoke about... Yeah, well, we, you know, we've got in touch with so-and-so and so-and-so and, you know, we're quite far down the line and it's like, well, why not? Let's do it. So is there anything off limits? I mean, clearly for your wife and for you, these are, these are slightly different pages, but for yeah. you, is there anything off limits? Um, no, I, I don't think there is. I think, you know, I'm fascinated with mankind, humankind, whatever, however you want to call it. And I'm fascinating in in evolution and how how far we can push ourselves and how, how you know the boundaries that that we have and that's not just in myself that's with with other people mm. that's why I do do the job that I do and I and, and I'm going down the road that I'm going because you know like people love pets I love humans you know I, I love I love the way that you know everyone's so different but what I love is people don't realise what we're capable of. And what I try and get across is not just as an individual, as as in numbers. You know, if you you had a, if you had an army full of people that believed in themselves, that you know realised where they're capable, um, where they're ca- um, 
boundaries lie, where their limits lie, and beyond, and realize what they're capable of, you'd be an unstoppable force. Mm. Um, there's nothing out of bounds that we couldn't figure out or pass on to our future generation to figure out. And that's again, that's what I find fascinating as well. It's just being able to pass on as much knowledge, but just through action, just through action, um, to show to show our future generation to carry it on, so they can just push and push and push and push and. But you know, it's not just a one-stop shop. You know, everything starts with you and ends with you. It's just like, what can you pass on? So I have an idea for you. Please. That if space doesn't work out, okay. I think it's a challenge your wife is going to like. Okay. I want to see how Aunt Middleton does in a monastery for a month. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Where indeed. there is no physical exertion, <laughs> that you have to be with complete with your mind and body in silence, and there is nothing to channel that energy into. Oh, now that let's not let's not even develop that. I've said let's, it now. <laughs> you've said it now. It's, That's it. It's out there. It's <laughs> out there. No, I think I would go. Uh, Absolutely, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because I, I think I'd go mad. You can help me get on a bike, and I'll help you be in a monastery. <laughs> like I said, I'll strap you to my back and go. <laughs> I took away so much from my conversation with Ant. I think it's partly because where he can tolerate risk is where some of my deepest trust issues lie. And one of the things it made me realise is that if we do not go to those places of discomfort and uncertainty and stay in those safe places, we're never really learning or pushing ourselves. And that one of the things that we need to do as individuals, as parents and as a society as a whole is to stop thinking of risk as this really dangerous thing, but actually this incredible place of opportunity. If you want to learn more about how to make better trust decisions in your life, please do join me for the rest of the season. Hit subscribe to get each episode of Trust Issues delivered to you free each week. And I'd love to know your thoughts on trust. You'll find me at Rachel Botsman. See you next Monday for another episode. Rachel Botsman's Trust Issues is co-written and co-produced by Phoebe Adler-Ryan, mixed, mastered and edited by Matt Hill from Rethink Audio, The theme song is Happy Life by Fredgie and the show is made possible by the lovely team at YMU.